Parirgun Sirelinir, Pari Egazek. Good evening, everyone. Welcome again. This is the second time we meet this week, as most of you are aware of the ongoings in Artsakh. Uh, as I had mentioned earlier, that we will have an interview with the new chairman of the ANCA, Enger Rafi Ampari. And unfortunately, Enger Rafi had to travel today from LA to Washington. He's in the air flying right now. So we will be discussing, uh, we will be talking with Enger. Aram Hamparian. Good evening, Enger Aram. Good evening, Enger Satrakish. Love, Tun. All is well. I'm glad to be on the line. Uh, Enger Aram, given what's been going on this month and especially in the last few days in Artsakh, uh, what a, how about we get right to the point? Can you tell us about the Azeri attacks? How did they start? How how did it start? And what's this situation today? Sure. It's it's actually a very very important question uh, what the origin of this attack was and um, it's not we know that the attack started on Saturday April 2nd but the real uh, important development was, was what happened not on Saturday but what happened last week last week President Aliyev was in Washington and he met during his time uh, in our nation's capital with uh, Vice President Biden and Secretary of State John Kerry now uh, that should have been an opportunity for those two senior leaders to, to deter Aliyev from his planned aggression, to, to have given him a lecture about the need for peace and a warning about the dangers of war and the consequences of Azerbaijani aggression. Uh, the sad news is, the unfortunate news is, that that's not what happened. The net effect of his Biden and Kerry meeting was that he left, and within hours of uh, leaving uh, U.S. airspace, had launched an attack of unprecedented scale since the 1994 ceasefire. Um, that's uh, if you, if you, that's how we connect the dots. It's a very, very uh, unfortunate uh, series of developments. Uh, we've actually called for the release of intelligence regarding uh, this attack because uh, if our leaders knew about this uh, when they were meeting, uh, then certainly they didn't act upon it in an effective way. And if our leaders met with uh, Aliyev, but they were blind to his preparations for war, that would represent uh, an intelligence failure that would need serious attention by our government. Now, uh, what happened, unfortunately, again, after the attack, was that the international community, the U.S. government, the OSCE, which uh, negotiates this, this uh, conflict, uh, really dropped the ball and really um, um, committed what we would consider a serious failure of diplomacy. Uh, rather than confront Aliyev's aggression and call him out and check him, uh, they reverted back to this failed, flawed model of false parity, uh, an artificial even-handedness that answers every Azadi attack with a generic call on all parties to um, to uh, to refrain from violence. Uh, you know, we, we look at that and say, look, our community, Armenians worldwide, Armenians in Artsakh and Armenia have invested so heavily in peace. Uh, and unfortunately, we have to ask ourselves, you know, where is it taking us? Uh, we, we will continue that investment in peace. Of course we will. But I think we're going to take from this experience a renewed focus, a renewed drive for recognition. Uh, the, the, we need to put Artsakh on the map as a fully recognized state and um, in, in the hope that and the, the wish that uh, that will act to deter Azerbaijan, that they seem to have this fantasy that uh, Artsakh is part of their territory and they have license to attack at will. Uh, so let's let's all work toward recognition in parallel to our our uh, efforts to promote the peace. 
Engen Aram, if uh, who's supporting Azerbaijan? Also, uh, you mentioned about the OSC and the Minsk chairs. Have they been helpful at all? The OSC and the Minsk chairs have um, they've kept the dialogue going, which uh, um, to the extent that people aren't fighting, that's, that's, it's better they, they talk than fight. But the path they put us on is one in which Azerbaijan uh, is given the initiative and they are free from time to time. It might be a, a, a week or a month or even six months, but on a periodic basis, they ramp up uh, the, the uh, aggression. And it went from last year, there was a, they shot down a helicopter using a surface terror missile. They have now this year introduced tanks and artillery and rockets. Uh, they have done a dramatic escalation. Um, so I think that the chairs on the one hand have kept the process moving, which is better than not having the process. Uh, but have really failed to check Azerbaijan. I'll, I'll give an example of, of something, something where they've talked the talk but not yet walked the walk. Uh, the U.S. Congress uh, proposed last October uh, what's called the Royce Angle Proposals, which says uh, no more snipers, no more heavy arms, um, more observers, and the deployment of gunfire locators along the line of contact, along the front line, uh, on the, on the, where, the, where the forces meet. Uh, those gunfire locators, those observers, would help uh, identify who's guilty. Azerbaijan always claims that it's the Armenians starting the fight. Well, these locators will help determine that. It's a very, it's a high-tech, relatively inexpensive solution to who shot first. Uh, the the co-chairs have voiced rhetorical support uh, for these initiatives, but they haven't pushed it. And the answer, the reason why, is that Azerbaijan doesn't want them, and the the co-chairs lack the will to pressure Azerbaijan and say. This is something that must be done. We will not take no for an answer. If we cannot deploy them on the, on the line of contact in between the forces, then we will deploy them on the Armenian side, and we will monitor your aggression. And uh, what, what has ANCA done about all this? And for our listeners and supporters, what could they do to help? Of course. We have worked um, starting... Uh, uh, immediately after the uh, aggression uh, started, we, uh, a, of course, informed and rallied our community. Uh, we reached out to uh, the U.S. government, to the, the White House and the State Department. We met on Monday, the first business day after the attack, with very senior State Department people. On Tuesday, we had a formal meeting with the Assistant Secretary of State, as well as uh, people involved in the Karabakh negotiations. Uh, we had sit-downs and meetings with senior members of Congress, about a dozen of whom have so far uh, issued statements um, uh, condemning Azerbaijan's uh, aggression. Today, uh, we worked with the, uh, the Armenian Caucus, and they issued, um, Armenian Caucus is a group of pro-Armenian legislators, they issued two letters, number one, calling on the president to uh, condemn Azerbaijan, and number two, calling upon the U.S. House to zero out U.S. military aid. We think that uh, that would send a constructive message and that the continuation of, the, of that aid sends a reckless and dangerous message. There's no reason uh, U.S. taxpayers should be subsidizing uh, Ilham Aliyev's um, arsenal. He does not need that aid, he does not deserve that aid, and he shouldn't get that aid. Uh, we're active as well on on, uh, on social media, and we have um, uh, had literally millions of engagements uh, around the world uh, for, on the Stop Aliyev hashtag and the Outstop Strong hashtag. We're working with the media to correct media bias. A lot of the international media accounts talk about uh, Karabakh as a separatist region, and it's not a separatist region. Uh, it was an area that was colonized uh, by the Soviets and by the Azeris, and this is a, a 
the process of the past quarter century has been the liberation of that territory. So on many, many fronts, on the congressional front, on the, uh, on the um, administration front, media, social media, uh, I'll give one example that I think is, um, illustrates the type of um, advocacy that we're undertaking, and that is um, the, uh, the work that we're doing with members of the Intelligence Committee to ask them to get the release, to secure the release of U.S. intelligence about this attack. And I mentioned this earlier, but it's very, very important. Uh, there was a major uh, attack upon um, uh, Artsakh, which is a recipient of U.S. aid and a partner in a, in a U.S.-mediated uh, uh, conflict resolution process. Uh, Artsakh was attacked hours after senior U.S. officials met with the man who ordered the attack. Uh, we need to know as much as possible about that as possible. Uh, and if it turns out uh, that we knew about it and didn't deter it, that's a diplomatic failing and we need to fix that. And uh, the, alternately, if we did not know about it, then clearly we do not have enough eyes and ears uh, on Azerbaijan. The intelligence community needs to focus uh, and direct its uh, satellite and signals and communications and, and other forms of intelligence on Azerbaijan because we cannot be surprised in this way again. We cannot have Azerbaijan uh, um, sort of uh, shock the world with these uh, surprise attacks. We should have the means, and I think the U.S. government does have the means, uh, to monitor that, that region much more closely and keep a closer eye on Ohamalia. Okay, and uh, prior to the outbreak uh, of war, we heard a lot about Azeri false propaganda and lies. Uh, can you tell us what they've been trying to do in the U.S., and as the war progressed, I started seeing more and more false propaganda coming out of Azerbaijan, Turkey, various uh, websites. I had the ambassador, Armenia's ambassador to Canada this week on, on the show, and he also stressed like people not to share false propaganda, to go to the source. What do you have to say about all that? I, I, would, I would agree with, with Armin, uh, with Ambassador Yeganyan. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of uh, uh, propaganda out there. Uh, one particular line that's been pushed very hard by the Azadi lobby and the Turkish lobby is this notion of uh, uh, that Armenia is doing uh, what it does at Russia's uh, direction, which of course is, is not true. Uh, and I think that's a, a, a means of mitigating the U.S. The natural reaction in the U.S. I think is to be sympathetic to the, the self-determination movement of the, the Christian nation of Armenia and Artsakh and standing up to external aggression. It's, the story of Artsakh is very, it's very much an American story, the victory of a free people over foreign rule. Uh, it's a very powerful narrative because it's uh, the American narrative. But I think what, what the Azeris and, and Turkish lobbies are trying to do is to, to, to brand, uh, attach the Russian brand to Armenia and in some sense uh, uh, make it uh, come off as an East-West uh, conflict, not a, uh, an Azeri uh, Karabakh conflict. And this is the kind of thing we have to, we have to fight back against. Uh, they bring massive resources to the effort. These are, are governments and very, very wealthy governments. The, the Armenian lobby uh, everywhere in the world has always been involved in an asymmetric struggle. It's never a matter of matching um, the other guys dollar for dollar or staff person for staff person or anything of that sort. It's really a matter of uh, us having the truth on our side, us having um, morality on our side, us having de a devoted uh, constituency on our side and leveraging sort of the unique things that we have. So uh, every Armenian, in a sense, needs to be an ambassador. Every uh, Armenian needs to be an editor. Every Armenian needs to be a fact checker. We need to monitor the media and push back hard with letters to the editor, uh, comments, and also notes to journalists uh, whenever possible. 
to set the record straight. If people you know, need their information, they can reach out to the ANC online or on social media, and we can provide the tools and the information they need to, to push back. And what have we been doing in different states? Uh, also, does Azerbaijan have supporters in the U.S. and Canada? Azerbaijan, I don't know, has actually, I don't think there's a whole lot of citizens in the U.S. that are highly motivated uh, to lobby for Azerbaijan, but they do have a massive budget, and um, they're able to uh, buy off uh, uh, politicians and to hire very, very expensive lobbyists. And uh, I'll, I'll give an example. There was, um, in the state of Tennessee, there was an anti-Armenian resolution introduced, and the legislator who introduced it um, uh, was interviewed, uh, a TV station in his hometown in Tennessee went and interviewed him and really shined a spotlight on him and, and asked him questions about Azerbaijan and Armenia, and he knew nothing about Azerbaijan or Armenia, and they researched how much money he had taken, and he had taken a whole lot of money from uh, from pro-Azeri uh, individuals, um, people clearly identified with the country of Azerbaijan, um, but of course U.S. citizens, and then when they researched it even further, they found out that they don't even live in Tennessee but they lived in, in, in Houston, in the poorest section of the city, and clearly this was some kind of cutout or money laundering scheme, uh, and, uh, and it became like a, a scandal. And I think that that's been the, the model. And this is, we've seen this in Hawaii, we've seen this in Montana, we've seen it in, in Tennessee and uh, Georgia and elsewhere, that the Aussies have lots of money, uh, not a lot of people, certainly they don't have the facts or morality or a motivated constituency on their side. On the other hand, you know, we may not have the money, we may not have the the high-priced lobbyists, but we do have very devoted people. Obviously, we have um, the history is with us, and uh, the moral case uh, is on our side. And how does Turkey fit in all this? How how is Turkey helping Azerbaijan in the war, in the war, and in well, the international the, community? I the, there was a comment recently by the leader of the pro-Kurdish party in Turkey. His name is Selahattin Selahattin Demirtas. And he's the, the co-chair of the, the HDP party, which is pro-Kurdish and also friendly to Armenian issues. And he made a public statement saying uh, that uh, it was Erdogan who started this attack. It was Erdogan who initiated uh, this, the, the pattern or the, the, the path uh, that Azerbaijan took to, uh, to this attack. I think he's right on the mark. I think uh, Turkey has its own geopolitics and has its own uh, relationship with uh, Armenia and Russia and, and and other countries in the region, I think that, in a sense, the Turks view this as a proxy war. Now, the Azeris may not view it as a proxy war, but certainly they have their own interests. But I think that um, not unrealistic to think that, that the, the trigger was pulled on this attack in Ankara, uh, ultimately. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you think Artsakh will ever be recognized by the international community? Yeah, I do. I do. I think uh, we're moving in that direction. I think we're... Here in the U.S., we have gotten seven states on board, uh, Georgia and Hawaii, just in the last month or two. Uh, others like California, Louisiana, Rhode Island, Maine uh, um, have also come on board. So I think we're moving in that direction. I think we'll see some progress, hopefully, in South America, perhaps uh, elsewhere in Asia. And uh, I think we'll move in that direction. It will be some combination of either recognition, uh, and it will be a process. It's incremental. Nothing, these things don't happen overnight. Uh, or possibly reunification. I think one of... Uh, one of those two is, is the path we're going to see. It's, uh, uh, when I say that, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be without work. We're going to have to you know, put our shoulder to the wheel. Uh, but I think that uh, time and history and, and the, the arc of justice is on our side. But what can we do to help? 
we have to uh, weigh in with our uh, our governments. And governments are most sensitive uh, where um, the, the citizens and the elected officials are closest. And uh, in, the, in the Canadian system, that's obviously members of parliament uh, who are responsive uh, to, to their voters, and also the political party system. Here in the U.S., it's, all, it's the U.S. Congress with a special focus on the U.S. House of Representatives. A senator um, is one of two people that represents a whole state. It might be millions and millions of people. Uh, typically, a member of the House represents around 700,000 people. Uh, some of those citizens are very vocal, but many, many of them are not, and, and a good chunk are apathetic and, and uh, passive. So those who raise their voices, those who go out to vote, in a, way, in a sense, have an outsized influence. Uh, it's, we each get one vote, but we, uh, we raise our voice as loud as, as, as we do. And, and that, uh, how the, so the volume that we bring to the political discourse um, sort of reflects where we end up in terms of being listened to. Uh, people who you know, are going to uh, be wallflowers and, and you know, stand in the corner, they're not going to get uh, uh, what they want. And, but Armenians, if we are organized and united, and we are organized and united, and if we're vocal, then we'll see progress. And uh, you know, on Karabakh, we've seen uh, a lot of uh, very positive developments out of the U.S. government. We saw uh, the U.S. Congress and the American government become the first nation to provide foreign aid to Nagorno-Karabakh, direct foreign aid to Nagorno-Karabakh. The United States uh, passed Section 907, which restricted uh, aid to the government of Azerbaijan as long as they blockaded um, Nagorno-Karabakh and Armenia. And then just a few years back, there was an ambassador that was nominated by President Obama to represent the United States in Baku, and, and we thought he was the wrong person. And, and also the Senate uh, blocked his confirmation. These are the kinds of things I think that where we put down our, our marker and, and, and made it clear that um, we're going to work very hard on those issues. The, uh, is the, the last several months have seen a lot of effort for this Royce Angle proposal uh, that I talked to you about. That's a real heavy investment we made in peace. We think it, it still has a future and we're going to work very hard for it. But there's a whole range of things we can do. But they only work if, if the, the grassroots is talking to the legislators. If, if a member of Congress has heard from 100 people um, in the week before we meet with them, they will view our dialogue in a very different way than if they only heard from three people. So, uh, you know, we can be uh, intelligent and we can be uh, charismatic and we can be persuasive and we can be, you know, bring as much as possible as we can as advocates here in Washington. But without the backing from home, um, we don't we realize our full potential. Okay, let's talk about the Armenian genocide. Uh, last year, the 100th anniversary was a rallying cry for all Armenians everywhere. What are we doing to keep the momentum this year? I think that we're pivoting from uh, more of a recognition focus to more of a reparations focus. Uh, the legislation, for example, uh, before the U.S. Congress, uh, says that the, the path forward is, uh, is justice. The, the, the model that the State Department and Turkey have pushed for many years is the notion that Armenia and Turkey can get along better if only we forget about the Armenian genocide. This legislation and all of our uh, advocacy on this issue is, is the premised on the exact opposite um, concept, which is that the path forward requires the resolution of the Armenian genocide. In fact, without that resolution, you're not going to see peace, you're not going to see stability, tensions will remain high, and the, the border will remain closed. So this is, I think, a, a conceptual uh, paradigm shift on our part. And it's reflected not just in Washington, but around the world. I think um, at the grassroots level, you're going to see very energetic uh, um, gatherings and commemorations and observances this April, again, with that more of a reparations focus 
Also, the AMC will um, devote additional resources to the legal uh, battle and uh, the fight for reparations in the courts, not just uh, uh, in the political system. And when, we, when, when you say reparations, do you, do you, do you, does that include as well our lands? I, I think everything. The one thing you learn in negotiations is you never negotiate against yourself. Uh, it's not our job to take things off the table. It's our job to go in and say, uh, this is what the Armenian nation lost. This is the viability challenge we face. We need to make the victim whole. What can be returned should be returned. What cannot be returned must be compensated. These are common ideas uh, of justice and law that exist in every society around the world. So, of course, land is on the table. Of course, reparations is on the table. Restitution is on the table. The return of churches is on the table. Everything's on the table. In the end, do we get everything we want? That's, you know, to be seen. Uh, but uh, certainly we're not going to negotiate against ourselves by ruling out anything. Why would we do that? And also, every time we bring up the Treaty of Serbs, uh, Woodrow Wilson and Turkey get scared. Is this something that we're they pushing as part of our land demands? Of course. We should use every vehicle uh, at our disposal. And one of those is not just the treaty, but the arbitral award. And, and uh, Arab Babian has spoken very eloquently in a very informed manner on that subject. Uh, the, the border of Armenia was, uh, with Turkey in the West was delineated by Woodrow Wilson at the, at the, at the direction of the victorious powers in the First World War. Uh, that is a document uh, signed and sealed uh, by the President of the United States. We need to um, uh, pursue that path, the treaty path, um, the, the genocide path itself as a reparations path for genocide. But there's a whole range of tracks. One, uh, each can be pursued on their own or in concert with others. We don't need to necessarily get a determination or admission of guilt by Turkey in order to move forward on other fronts. This is, um, you know, we need to work within the Turkish courts, the European courts, the American courts, international courts, uh, on every front uh, to, to seek justice. And how could people in the U.S. and Canada get involved to help? The, the, the legal front is a little more specialized. Uh, on, when we're talking about, like, grassroots politics, literally anybody uh, can visit their member of Congress or senator or, you know, make a phone call or send an email. Um, the, the, the grassroots activism, the education of the community, these are things that have a very low threshold in the sense that everyone in our community is qualified to do it, which is great. It's one of the great things about uh, our grassroots activism. Uh, in the legal world, it's a little different in that there's this high bar, which is a, a, a law degree and some experience in international affairs and some understanding of international law. So it's a more specialized task and, and one that we are um, returning to lawyers and law firms around the country uh, to, to offer us help, uh, either at a, as they say, the church rate or even for free, because uh, I think that uh, the legal talent we have as a community is, is really epic, and with just a small staff, we can leverage a lot of that free energy, and that's, I think, our, our goal. Uh, if we have to pay for every uh, uh, billable hour that a lawyer uh, would pursue this issue on, through, uh, it would be extremely expensive. But if we can leverage the goodwill among the legal community, uh, make partnerships with uh, you know, different law firms, I think we'll be on a good track. Okay, uh, now to U.S. Uh, presidential elections. Everybody is watching the debates as uh, lately and the uh, of what's going on. Is the ANCA going to endorse someone, and when? Uh, we, uh, from time to time, do endorse presidential candidates. We have not made a decision about endorsing or even if we are going to endorse. We're looking at the, all the candidates. We, uh, on the Democratic side, you have um, uh, Bernie Sanders, who 
as a member of the House and the Senate, has been a supporter of Armenian issues. He has co-sponsored legislation on the Armenian genocide, uh, supported letters and other initiatives that have been helpful to our community. So his record's been good. He hasn't always been you know, the leader of these efforts, but he's been a consistent supporter of these efforts. Uh, Secretary Clinton, when she was in the Senate, uh, Senator Clinton uh, was in the Senate from New York, uh, co-sponsored the Armenian Genocide Resolution and was generally supportive of Armenian issues. Um, when she was first lady, she was in an administration that was not supportive on our issues. And then when she went into the Obama administration, she took a very sharp turn on our issues. And in fact, at one point, um, when asked about the Armenian Genocide, went far beyond anything that President Obama had said and, and said that um, the Armenian Genocide, in fact, is a matter for historical debate, which for us is, is, is a sort of a toxic turn uh, and, and one that's, that's, that's even it's far beyond non-recognition. It's outright denial. That troubled us greatly. And uh, uh, we haven't really seen, um, she, hasn't, she has not really raised her voice as a candidate in any meaningful way uh, to address that. But nonetheless, a lot of questions about that, uh, uh, about that state. That's sort of the one that's still on the table, and, and I think it needs to be addressed before Armenians can kind of finalize their views of, uh, of, of, of her candidacy. Uh, on the Republican side, um, Senator Cruz is a co-sponsor of the Armenian Genocide Resolution in the Senate. Uh, he is, I gave a speech last April that mentioned the Armenian Genocide. Um, uh, Donald Trump has no record on Armenian issues. Uh, he does, you know, to the extent that he speaks about foreign policy, he talks about a, a better relationship with, with Russia, which I, I think has some resonance um, uh, with Armenian Americans, but uh, really has brought no like political record to the, to the table. Uh, Senator uh, Congressman Kasich and now Governor Kasich, uh, when he was in the House, uh, by and large would oppose issues of concern to our community. Uh, others who've stepped out of the race had records, like Marco Rubio was um, uh, a decent supporter of our issues. Uh, uh, Jeb Bush, as governor, had recognized the genocide, and as a, as a, as a younger man, had traveled to Armenia uh, right after the earthquake for a, you know uh, to investigate the needs of the population. So. It was a pretty robust field. Now it's narrowed down. There's not quite as uh, as many supporters in there, but we know we're going to look. And, and obviously, one thing that we do is we encourage Armenians to be involved in every race um, and to be, you know, to, to be, you know, good Dems, good Democrats, and good Republicans, and good you know, adherence to the, the, the folks that they support. But ultimately, uh, we know that our community, for all of the Democrats and all the Republicans and all the partisan leanings that you hear about, uh, that that our community. Uh, does you know, Armenian issue is a very special place for them, and we've seen time and time again that Armenians will cross party lines if there's a if there's a reason to. If a particular candidate is solid on Armenian issues, I think a lot of our folks uh, you know will support that person. Uh, of course, there's going to be people on the left and the right who you know aren't going to move very much, but there's a lot of folks in the middle who who think who see the Armenian issue as uh, not a single issue, but as a very important issue. Uh... Now this is my favorite question, because it's a, it has to do about my favorite uh, part of the U.S., California. We know the ANCA oh, is very strong in California, and uh, there's an, an annual uh, advocacy day. What is that, and how could people participate? Okay, well, first let me say two things. First, for the first time in a while, uh, for the first time in fact since 2008, it looks like there'll be a competitive California primary which means the candidates are going to pay a lot more attention to uh, the Armenian vote than they normally do, which is a very, very good thing. The California primary is June 7th, and usually by June 7th, 
the Democrats and Republicans have chosen their candidate, but uh, it seems that, the, that both race, both each race will stay open until June 7th, which means that California really matters and that the, um, the Armenian vote will, uh, will matter a lot as well. Now, uh, advocacy days uh, in Sacramento was an opportunity. It's a tradition that the ANC Western Region has established of bringing um, chapters and activists and friends and supporters from around the Golden State to Sacramento, where they, they meet with legislators and lobby for uh, and advocate for uh, issues that matter to our community. And in the past, we've seen uh, very powerful uh, measures adopted by the legislature uh, beyond recognizing the Armenian genocide, uh, uh, requiring the teaching, for example, of the Armenian genocide in very meaningful and, and um, in a sense, compulsory ways. Uh, we've seen also legislation on the recognition of Nagorno-Karabakh. That's, that's why California is one of seven states. So this is really a, a great experience. It's an extremely powerful political move, but, uh, and I, I can say this to anyone who's thinking of going, it's also a lot of fun. There's really uh, nothing better than that feeling of solidarity and camaraderie and shared purpose. It's uh, a really a wonderful time. The trip itself, you might think, is a, is a long bus ride, but it's a very often the, the most fun you'll have all day. You get up there, you meet with legislators. There's obviously... You know, there are Armenians now in the legislature who, who welcome them there and were blessed by their leadership. Uh, and then um, it's, it's really, I think, uh, for anyone who's done it, they'll want to do it again. For anyone who hasn't done it, explore it, ask friends who've done it, uh, uh, take, take, the, take the lead because you won't regret it. Uh, finally, the ANCA is supported by Armenians from all backgrounds and is considered a very powerful lobby in the U.S. How did this happen in Gararam and what's next? Okay, um, I would say that we have grown in power sort of individual by individual, family by family. Uh, and I say that in terms of activism and, and finances, right? We, uh, we are relevant to the extent that local Armenians, uh, uh, that our message has resonance with local Armenians around the country. Uh, the, the issues that we talk about are the issues that they care about, and that's why they respond. Uh, we, and so the activism is driven by locals and uh, if we're able to stop an ambassador or pass a law or stop a law, it's not because uh, of efforts in Washington. It's because of the countless hours of volunteer time invested by local activists and friends and, and chapters around the country. So that's we're clearly a bottom-up organization. The same is true of our fundraising. Uh, you know, we don't have a corporate backing. We don't take uh, any money from governments. Uh, our um, typical donation is about 100 bucks, and uh, the typical donor is a family, maybe they're in their 40s or 50s, maybe their kids are in school or they're out of college, and they get a letter from us or they, they look online and they send us 50 or 100 or $200, and that adds up uh, um, to our budget, our annual budget, which is largely, in large part put together by very small donations. But, um, but I think that represents a strength. Other uh, nonprofits might say, well, we're strong because we've got one or two big donors. I say we're strong because we've got literally tens of thousands of donors. And I think that's our, our greatest strength. You asked what's next. I'll, I'll, I'll give you two things. Uh, the first is uh, a focus on the legal world and, and reparations. You're going to see much more of that in the coming weeks and months. And uh, another thing, which is very forward-looking, is uh, the, our purchase of a second building here in Washington. We, we own the ANC headquarters right in downtown D.C. And you're all welcome to visit and come by for coffee. Uh, but we've bought a, a second building. Uh, you know, it costs several million dollars. Um, it is a, an eight-bedroom, former bed-and-breakfast that serves as housing for our youth programs. 
because we want interns to come here and get trained during the summer, and we want recent graduates to come to Washington after uh, they've left school, and we want them to find jobs in politics and government and media. And what we've discovered is that you can't just find a job in Washington from Boston or Los Angeles or Oregon or Florida. You need to be in the city. So we invite them to Washington and say, live in our house for free. We will train you. We will teach you to write a resume. We will teach you to prepare a cover letter. We will teach you how to conduct an interview. Uh, we will make introductions. We'll do everything we can to help you uh, be gainfully employed in, in a period of a few short months. And then, you know, they, they enter the workforce. Uh, obviously, remain friends and in touch with the ANCA, and we bring in the next person. If we do this sufficiently and, and regularly, uh, year after year after year, we're going to populate this city. Uh, the, the fabric of the city will be woven through with uh, with talented, ambitious, uh, smart Armenians. I think that's 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 the next step for us in many ways. We want to um, make Washington more of an Armenian city. Wow! Because I was going to ask you, how can we get? more people involved in, in ANCA work because it's a grassroots organization and you have volunteers 365 days a year and I think this is a very good incentive for people to come uh, like you said, live there, get trained and then go back to their roots to their cities. Absolutely and and, and free housing is at the, at the heart of it because it's it's hard to ask a young person to make a move and cover the expenses and you know um, and worry about everything else so we try to Make, at least answer that question for them by saying, come, come and stay with us. It's a very nice house, safe, and a nice part of town. And from that platform, you know, you can explore and realize your ambitions. And people could apply through ANCA.org, uh, if I'm not mistaken, ANCA. right? ANCA.org. Go to the Capital Gateway section. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts on Gerarim? No, just thank you. Keep up the great work. I'm so very proud of you. Thank you, Anger. Uh Hopefully, we'll talk to you again soon on a better note. Hopefully, Artsakh will be recognized. And peace. Good night to you. And best of luck. Parev neres yekso inal. Yev enger raf inal. Shachat parevere. All right. Okay, folks, you heard from Enger Aram. Stick around. We're going to play a couple of songs and then continue. Hayot bin oran, 
Սիրեներն այսպեսով քշերպարի ուզեմ մահտել ծեզի դարձյալ ներողամին կգտնեք ընկերrafին չգրծավ միանալ որովհետև գջան պորտեր այս քիշեր նոր համար էր որ ընկերarama գրծավ մեր հետ խոսիլ դարձյալ ուզեմ շնորհակալություն այդնել ընկերarama-ին եւ հայտադի ամերիկայի հայտադի անցնախումբին մի մորնակ աշա վաղնե սկսյալ ցույցեր դերի գունենա վաղը ամստերդամի մեջ ինչպես նաեւ օթավայի մեջ կանադա նաև Los Angeles իսկ շապատորը New York հուսամ մեծ թիվով գմասնակցինք ազրբեջանի թեսպաններուն թիմած քիշերպարից էր փորորին կա շապատ կդեսնվինք ուրեմն նկատի առնելով որ ապրի 24-ը գմոդենա փոլոր թեման այս ապրիլի ընթացքին մեր զրույցներուն ապրի 24-ը բիլլա քիշերպարի Oh, <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> 